Well, it's that time of the week. It's time for yet another sparkling episode of The Thought Police. And it's me, Mike Graham, in London, and it's Matt Kelly uh, up in sunny Norfolk. It's quite a nice day up there, Matt, isn't it? It's beautiful, mate. Yeah, it's really nice. Bit of a breeze, about, yeah. what, 13, 14 degrees. Great gardening weather. Lovely. Lovely. If only Lovely. we could go out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what I said to somebody the other day. I said, it's such a beautiful day here. I think I'll just sit around in the house and watch Netflix, know. you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know... Although, I have to say, I don't know what it's like where you are, but I think I said this to you last week, London is is quite busy. It's not anywhere near what it used to be like in terms of busy, but, you know, there's an awful... Right. There's, you know, I'm, I'm stopping in traffic jams now. You know, there's more than a several... You know, there's more than two or three cars at the lights and all that, and, and certain right. places where people live and work um, and, and also queue up for shopping, there's there's plenty of people out and about. I wonder if, actually, if the government's actually quite relaxed about it or... You know, it's like a sort of a gradual kind of drift back to normality. I think that's exactly what they're doing, because I was talking yeah. to somebody today in Switzerland. Their schools are going back May the 11th. I think the French are looking to do that. Uh, certainly in Portugal, I was talking to a friend of mine, a friend of ours, actually, who lives out there, who said that they're back playing golf as of this week and the bars are going to open and the restaurants are going to open later on uh, in May. So I think in keeping with the rest of the world, we're, we're going to sort of yeah. move in that direction. Thank God is what I'm saying. Thank God, honestly. It's like, I mean, I know everybody is suffering, but it really is taking a toll now, isn't it? It's it really like, is. Just because... You know, I do have a lot of sympathy for people who are struggling with their mental health because this is an absolute killer, this. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've I've always regarded myself as being pretty, you know, hard line and pretty kind of robust. But, I mean, even I've had my moments where, for yeah. some reason, you just wake up and you feel awful. You just think, you know, and, you, and, and it yeah. starts to affect you physically as well, do you know? I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 I've definitely had what must be regarded as kind of stress-related aches and pains and, you know, the odd yeah. sniffle here and there. And, you, you know, you don't feel great physically because of the, the, the not yeah. knowing, you know? I used to get um, I, when it, when I was at the mirror and things were really stressful. Um, I used to get like eczema all over my eyes. Oh, really? and my, yeah. Oh my god! And but it looked like you know someone had beaten me up. Right. And I remember going to a, a specialist about it and said, you know, can you get rid of this? And she said, well, it's stress related. What do you do for a living? And I told her, you know, I work with all these people. It's very, it is very stressful. Blah blah blah. She said, well, get another job. Yeah. And I said, I can't, I can't get another job. She said, well, you're going you to have to learn to live with the eczema then. And at some point, it went away and it's never come back, thank right. God. But maybe that was just me getting a bit more relaxed about yeah. you know, work in general. Yeah, but I think there's a lot we don't know. And I don't want to turn this into one of those kind of self-help uh, podcasts. But, you know, I think there's an awful lot we don't know about, yeah. the, about the connection between how you feel physically and how and what you're going through mentally, you know? Mate, it's only a matter of minutes before you launch a self-help podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Is, I mean, funnily enough, I, I mean, I can't stop now. I got, like, so I got the dog one coming up with uh, Kevin O'Sullivan soon. I had a call at the weekend from a mate of mine who's a builder. He said, "Have you ever thought yeah. of doing a DIY podcast?" I was like, "I don't think I've got time at the moment, mate." You know, my, my prediction is your dog one is going to transcend everything you've ever done, and yeah. you will you'll you'll become famous as the as the dog man of Twitter yeah. or whatever. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the cooking one's going very well. We've we've got a, we've we've got a wine company signed up now to give us wine and also uh, pay us. Uh, so every time yeah. we every time we get people who sign up to their wine delivery service, we're gonna um, you know we're gonna get ten quid or something. So it's great. You know. um, That's great. Yeah, but I mean, I, I I was thinking, wondering actually, as I was about to talk to you, whether you've got any plans afoot 
to come back to London yet? Well, we had actually, we had a disaster, which was our broadband went down. Oi. Norfolk and my wife's business, she just, I mean, it's all she depends on, you know. So she is now in London with the elder two kids. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So that's a bit of a, a strange one. Um, and I don't know how we're going to resolve it. I need to be here for the time being, but then after that, maybe I can nip back down yes. to London, but... I mean, is yeah, it something? Is it something you can do, like come back for the weekends or something like that? Well, not. I mean, really, with the sort of, they don't want people to do that, do they? You know, I mean, no. there's little towns and villages in North Norfolk apparently with plenty of these signs up saying "f off," you know, yeah, visitors yeah. and all. But you see, I think they're going to have to resolve. They're going to have to resolve this because, I mean, I was listening this morning to um, uh, Julie Hartley Brewer talking about Nigel Farage, you know, because he's been getting the neck for travelling down to the south coast yeah. uh, to film uh, these beaches where all these migrants are coming in, right? And technically speaking, supposedly. Um, he has breached the law in some way. The, the, the police have said that, uh, you know, he shouldn't have been doing it. But on the other hand, he's got a radio show. He's he's a broadcaster. Yeah. He's got every right, I would say, to go and do that sort of media, albeit yeah. that it's on social media. And he's probably a key worker because he's got a radio show. So, Well, I, listen, I, I think Nigel Farage is the biggest twat on the planet, but I would agree with everything you've just said. Mm. I mean, he is... It is he is. I mean, he's not a journalist, but he is doing journalism. I think it's. Yeah. I personally think it's bent and twisted journalism. But if you start censoring journalists, then where do you draw the line? So I think he has got a right to go and stand on the beach. The thing I would say is that the beach was absolutely, completely empty. Yes. So it wasn't like there was floods of migrants shipping themselves in as he was speaking. No. But, uh, no, but that's yeah, true. I, but I mean, I know those beaches very well because that's where I, I go in, Surrey, in Sussex, you know, at the weekends, or I used to. Um, and he's absolutely right. I mean, there are people occasionally who land on those beaches and they just run off into the town and nobody does anything about it. And I mean, right. I'm not particularly, you know, bothered about pointing all of that out. But what I would say is if the police are going to say you shouldn't be doing it, then shouldn't they be fining him? They should either say one or the other. It's like, well, either you shouldn't be doing it and now we're fining you, or, you yeah. know, you go ahead. I, I don't understand well, I, the, the, the difference. Yeah. You know? I think they work on the basis that um, you they try and advise first before hitting you with a fine. And yeah. it's, only it's only people who are stubborn and say, well, the hell with it, I'm still right. doing it, who, who they then fine. Which I would say is if if... If we mean the law, and someone says, "I'll don't worry about it. I'll take the thirty quid fine." Yeah. Well, that's not, that's clearly not enough, is it? You know. So no, we should, quite. But, that, but that's where it's, but I mean, the reason I'm asking the question is because it obviously does affect me. I mean, I haven't been to Sussex for that very reason, even though technically speaking, I am a key worker. I could say to anybody that stops me, well, I'm entitled to see my children, even though they're fifty yeah. miles away. You know, yeah. it's now week seven where I haven't seen them. And every week I'm hoping that somebody will say something whereby they say, right, you can now have those little bubble meetings, you can have groups of people up to 10, yeah. as long as you're social distancing in a garden, which is all I would do just to go and see them, you know. Um, yeah. well, and I, I, mean, feel, I, could... and I feel as though somehow I'm being prevented from doing something. And I'm wondering if I did it anyway, whether there would be a problem. I don't think there would be, mate. And no. I don't think you'd find a copper in the land who would not understand that you on your own isolated mm. driving down to see your family uh you know the only thing i would say is is that if you've been in contact with people which you have yeah. then you know then then i suppose you as a family unit have got to isolate yourselves but everyone's isolated anyway well that's so, what i mean i mean and all i would do is i would go down there say on saturday 
Um, I would sit in the garden where we've got plenty of space and keep well away from all of them and just chat yeah. to them and then get back in the car and drive back to London. Sounds bloody ideal. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it's one of those things that you don't realise you've missed until you start doing it, you know. Because yeah, yeah. I'm getting pretty sick and tired of talking to people on bloody Zoom and house party uh, and, fa and FaceTime. I mean, it's not the same, is it? It's not the same. I would definitely do it. Yeah. I think I, th I think so. I think we've also reached that point now where people are beginning to do things. I mean, I spoke to uh, that guy, James Chiaverini, who we met at Piers' party, you know, the, 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 the restaurant owner. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. He's already talking about reopening his restaurant, um, even though he says oh. it's going to be really tough to make any money, but he needs to do it. Um, yeah. And he's worked a way out of getting uh, testing for the, uh, for the for the different people who need to work together in the kitchen. And he's like, well, if, right. if I've got two guys who've already had the, the coronavirus, there's no reason why they can't work next to each other in the kitchen. You would think, you would hope so. Although they, they are saying that having it once is no guarantee that you'll never get it again. No, so. it's no guarantee, but it's pretty safe-ish, you know. And I think the problem yeah. is, is if we wait until, you know, absolutely everything has no risk, then we're never going to get out of it at all because there's always going to be some risk. I think, mate, that is where the uh, sensible people are, are reaching that conclusion is that this is... It's not just for the long term. This might actually be a state of affairs that goes on for a very long term. Yeah. You know, it's that we will have to just operate differently. Yeah. Uh, we will have to work different patterns. There'll be loads of good things. Working from home has suited a lot of people. Seeing yeah. more of the family, spending less time on crowded uh, trains, great. Yeah. But equally, you know, there's, there's things that you want to be able to do, like go out for a meal, go to the cinema, all of these things that... We've got to find a way to do it while this thing is still a threat. Otherwise, you might as well just give up on living. Yeah, I know. Absolutely right. And and I think that's the point at which people have reached because, you know, f funnily enough, this is the week where the furlough system supposedly ends, right? Now, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure the government's not going to just cut everybody off and say you get no more money. But they, yeah. I think that's why I'm more and more convinced that they're going to start moving and allowing businesses to reopen and say, right, now let's 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 start going again. But they're still yeah. saying things like pubs can't open until December. And I just wonder whether they can hold that. I just don't see how they no. can. Uh, the big thing for me is is when the schools go back because yes. I think there's there will be families everywhere. I'm sure most people listening to this uh, who, as much as they're loving the fact that they've got their family ever present, you know, it does create a pressure cooker inside the house, yes. especially if you're stuck with nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, so the sooner kids can go back to school and start their educations again, that'll give parents a little bit more of a breathing space, and I think things will then. Uh, equalise quite nicely, but it's not um, it's just not, I can't see the point where anyone says, right, that's over now, you know yeah. so we've got to we've got to prepare to live with it rather than live after it. Yes, you know? I think that's absolutely right I've been saying this for a few weeks now because I mean, I think the schools have not exactly been brilliant and I take the, I take it that, uh, you know, it's, it's been tough for the schools individually as well, but, but certainly my kids' school have not been great at setting any kind of work. I mean, you know, my boy, yeah. uh, who's the older one doing his GCSEs, um, he's literally had nothing to do because, yeah. you know, he was working... The only thing he was doing was revising for his exams, which are now not happening. So, I mean, he's already said to me, I don't want to go back to school. If they reopen, there's no point in year 11 going back. So I think yeah. that's probably about right. But the younger one has had a bit of homework to do, but they haven't been great at sort of, you know, what some of the private schools have been doing, which is, you know, you get up at 9 o'clock, 
you log on, you register that you're present for some kind of online sort of, you know, meeting, some kind of yeah. assembly almost. And then you get given some work to do before the end of the day. And you've, yeah. you've physically actually got something going on because without that, the kids have got no structure. And also the thing is that not everybody is, is you know, as lucky as we are to have tip-top Wi-Fi and yeah. laptops. Yeah. And I heard a heartbreaking story. I think it was on Radio 4 this morning mm. with one of their reporters talking about how she'd spoken to a fella who worked in a, a factory or something and he had been downloading um, BBC Bite Size School oh, yeah. Lessons yeah. and they didn't have a printer but he was copying it out from the screen by hand Blimey. and then taking it home for his kids to do wow. on, on paper. Yeah. So, I mean, the reality is a lot of people are struggling with, yeah. you know, crap crap tech, crap laptops and, and the kids are going to fall further behind which is tragic. Yeah, well also they're going to get out of the habit I mean, I said to, to my youngest, I said, look, you don't want to be out of school till September because you'll literally forget what it's like to be going to school. And, you, you know, yeah. it's a bit like when you get, uh, sort of, if you get if you lose your job and you don't get another job and you sit there being unemployed, after a while you forget what it's like to go to work every day. Yeah, yeah, and it'll become, it'll be a real shock and getting back into that groove will be uh, very difficult. Yeah. I think it's going to be more, I and mean, we've said this before, that for the kids it's actually maybe tougher than than it is for us because as, as fragile as we may or may not be, at least we you know we can, we can kind of you know rationalise things. We can actually yeah. work out what's going on. What happened to your Wi-Fi, by the way, anyway? Uh, well, uh, there's an engineer coming on Thursday to try and resolve it, but right. it's something to do with a port getting stuck open. Oh, God. So, yeah. so you've effectively not been able to even, even watch anything on Netflix or anything. No, it's been. Um, it's been that must have been, <laughs> been interesting. Miserable few days. Dear God! <laughs> so, have you got one of the kids with you then? I've got the uh, the little one, yeah, right. who's, um, who's who's very entertaining and he loves is. it all. He's quite and, lively, uh, isn't he? He's very lively, <laughs> and, and he's good company as well. You know, yeah. so that's wow. that's been good. Blimey. I yeah, I mean, you do forget. I mean, I once had that when I we, we moved house at one point um, to a new place in Sussex, and because it was there hadn't been anybody living there, there was no immediate Wi-Fi hookup, and it took something like a month before they could arrange to yeah. come and do it, right? But there was yeah. also, because it was in quite a remote part of Sussex in those days, there was no 3G there either, right? So I yeah. was, like, bereft. I used to have to get in a car and tr drive to the nearest Tesco's and sit in the Tesco cafe um, to, yeah. to, to send emails and to talk to people um, yeah. and then go back at some point in the afternoon to do the sort of second shift, you know, because <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to contact me during the day. It was a horrendous situation. You know what the weird thing in the world is for me is trying to reimagine, we all lived through it, but trying to remember what it was like before the internet and before email yeah. and mobile phones. It, it seems almost impossible that we we got through de the day but yeah. we did well i tell stories to my kids particularly to, to emma my oldest about how i used to do my journalism um, uh, job you know when i lived in america and i think i've talked to you about this before where you know i'd get cold in new york and i'd be told you know go to uh, you've got to go and find so-and-so well where is he I, well we don't know we think he might be somewhere in texas you know and you'd go, all right, okay. And then you'd somehow find the guy uh, uh, in a phone book in some way, find an address, get on a plane to Dallas, drive, you know, drive sort of 20 miles outside of Dallas, find the street somehow, uh, knock on the door and ask him the question and then be yeah. told to piss off or something, you know. But, yeah. but basically that was, I don't know, I can't explain how I did all that. I just don't know how I, I did it. Do you remember the story? Well, you, you certainly will remember it. Hugh Grant and the hooker in... Yes. In, in LA, 
And I don't know whether it was Piers, but it was somebody got the... Her name was Divine Brown, wasn't it? Well, Piers and, was the editor of the News of the World at the time. Right. Well, whoever got it was Piers' bloke. And the, and, and the way he got it was by p- literally posting, uh, sticking posters onto lampposts in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's if you know this woman, yeah. call me on this number. Yeah. <laughs> Got the story? Yeah. Piers tells a great story about that. I don't know if you've ever heard him tell it, and I'm not sure if I should tell it, but um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was the editor, right? And uh, so he literally, they bought her up, and they paid her something like a quarter of a million quid, flew her out of LA up to somewhere like Santa, um, not Santa Barbara, what's I'm thinking of, Sacramento, somewhere like, yeah. you know, way out of Southern California into Northern California, put her in a safe house. Yeah. Did the whole thing, planned the paper, first eleven pages, right? Um yeah. he's in morning conference apparently on Saturday morning. And yeah. he gets a call from Rupert. Yeah. And um Rupert's going, So, what you got this week, boy? He used to call him something like he didn't call him boy, but he called him something like that, young man or something, you know, because he was yeah, only yeah, like yeah. twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah. And he said, uh, oh, we got some great stuff this week. And and Rupert sort of off the off the cuff said something like, Well, I hope you're not doing anything uh, with that um that hooker and Jane and, and uh, Hugh Grant, because uh, he said we've just done a big uh, deal with Hugh Grant. He's going to be in a lot of movies with us, and uh, I was just in a meeting uh, with the guys at 20th Century Fox. Right, <laughs> so Piers is going. Well, we're going to do a bit on it. <laughs> so if you go back to find the original paper, right, they've literally <laughs> squeezed five spreads into one, and they've done like I think they did ended up doing one, two, three on it. Um, oh, and he had to hide <laughs> the money somehow, that, did, that you know, so that it didn't appear to be two hundred fifty grand going out the window. Really? I mean, just tremendous—the kind of thing that you just would hate to do. And, every, and everyone was like, "Well, what are we going to do with everything else?" He's like, "I don't know. Just, just, just bury it all. Just put it all in one well, spread." <laughs> that, that, he had he had the, exactly the same scenario with a picture. He got a picture of I think it was Reggie or Ronnie Cray right. dead, and lying in a morgue, or someone had sneaked a photograph of him, yeah. and. Piers had got it exclusive for the News of the World and was going to do this massive, big uh, front page, Reggie Cray dead, you know, or something like this. Right. With the with, And Murdoch calls just as they're about to go off the press and says, what do you got this week? And he says, we've got this amazing picture, Rupert, uh, Mr. Murdoch, amazing picture of Reggie Cray, a notorious East End gangster, lying dead in the funeral parlour. It's an extraordinary photograph. And Murdoch just went, Sam, stiffs don't sell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I suppose that would be right. Apart from Elvis, I suppose. I think the fight, yeah. you know, the Elvis one did. But listen, but talking, the punchline, of, talking the, about... The punchline, to it was, the punchline to that was that he then knocked it off the front page and scrambled to find another splash and found on page 17 a story about um, Di- uh, Earl Spencer or something and some medical treatment. It, it was his wife. Do you remember right. uh, Diana but, Spencer's brother's wife? Yeah, was it Victoria? Victoria, yeah. and he splashed on that and then spent the next five years in tribunals and, and, and court defending a breach of I remember prison. that. Yes, I do remember yeah. that. That was a massive sort of... It was one of those massive stories that was yeah. really put under the spotlight, wasn't it, in terms yeah. of press intrusion and all that. Yeah, That's wow. Right. That's it right. just yeah. goes to show you, doesn't it? Speaking of which, actually, I thought I've got to ask you about uh, Mark De Stefano. Um, yes. Because what a story that is, right? I mean, even um, yes. in the mail yesterday, a uh, massive great big story by Richard Pendlebury about how this guy basically was hacking his way through media companies, um, but he was getting all sorts of support from the left wing because he was only going after right-wing people. Yeah. I've I met Mark a few times. I mean, he's very... He's an Australian 
very kind of vibrant character, big personality, very full, what Donald Trump would call a high energy guy, you know, right. he's like buzzing. He did a great job at BuzzFeed and, and he's one of those people that journalists, when they meet him, they're kind of quite deferential to him because yeah. they know that he could be writing about them one day. So, right. uh, and, but equally, I think when he got done for this, for dialing into this, Think, um, there was a lot of people were quite glad to see him knocked off his perch. Yeah. The thing I would say is that, you know, two things. One is that idea of being passed a password into a big meeting of hundreds of people and mm. and sort of sneaking in. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's illegal. It feels naughty, but it doesn't feel like it's illegal. And but it is illegal. Mm. And I think that is exactly the same emotion a lot of people had around hacking people's phones yeah. twenty years ago. They didn't feel it was illegal. They felt it was immoral, naughty, whatever. And I'm not talking about hacking Millie Dowler's phone. That was just an obscenity. Yeah. But but I think most people thought it's celebrities. It's a bit of fun, you know, blah blah blah. But it was illegal, and it all came back to haunt them. And I, I'd say the idea, you know, say Mark De Stefano had snuck into the back of a meeting uh, of the Independent and the Standard, and no one noticed, and he'd got his scoop. No one would have said anything, and that's the digital version of what he did. But the stupid thing he did, and this is why he, he should be kicking himself and resigned. Is he logged on with his own bloody name? Yeah, I they know. Saw, they saw him pop up, and then he went off, and then he logged on with his own phone, which is registered to the FT. So, you know, I think just well, in so terms You know of, what that tells me, though? That tells me that he was so relaxed about doing it because he'd done it so often that he never yeah. thought that it would ever come back to haunt him because, clearly, yeah. if you were doing something like that for the first time, you'd be so careful, I would have thought, yeah. to cover your tracks. And he clearly didn't think that was necessary because nobody had ever caught him before. But I think yeah. what's interesting as well is, you know, going back to the beginning of the phone hacking, and I always don't like to use the term of phone hacking because phone hacking to me sounds like you're literally listening into people's calls, which is not what was going on. Listening yeah. into people's messages is what was going on, and that's something completely different. And until I'm pretty sure I'm right in this, until 2001, my understanding is it was not illegal uh, until it was changed and made illegal under the Data Protection Act. So, right. you know, when a lot of that original sort of behaviour started, nobody, uh, as far as anyone was concerned, was was breaking the law. It then yeah. it then got overused, and the news of the world got carried away um, and started, you know literally recording everybody or listening to everybody's phone messages and yeah. that's where and that's where they got it wrong but i just find yeah. it interesting that the left people like owen jones your mate whose name comes up quite a lot and that ghastly yeah. woman from novara media were quite sort of, kind of congratulatory i try not to mention her name congratulatory um uh, to him uh, but i mean if it can you imagine if he had been working for news international news uk what they would have said but they wouldn't have said that he'd done a great job I found it just, it's typical, pathetic, lick, spittle words over over intent from people like that. The, you know, Owen Jones constantly bleats on about the establishment media and how he's an outsider and all of this. And here you've got the most establishment media reporter on the block and he gets fired for hacking into a meeting that he shouldn't have done. And that Owen Jones is amongst the first to be saying, so sorry to hear this, Mark, you know, blah, blah, blah. What a twat. Yes, absolutely right. Now, the other big yeah. important story of the day that I have to ask you about is apparently uh, that McDonald's are in uh, hot water because they've announced the first 15 of their restaurants which are going to open for delivery, right? And they're all in the south of England. <laughs> None of them are in the north, so, of course, up, oh my up north people are not very happy about it. 
Oh dear, oh dear, that's a bit of a corporate cocker. I would have thought so. You know, they've got one of them is opening in Ipswich, they're not far from you. The others are mainly in London and Kent. Three of them uh, are in Luton, uh, and another three are in Chelmsford. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, do you know what we did last weekend was mm. we were so so desperate for something other than pasta and pesto that we got into the car and uh, drove into Norwich, having heard that KFC was. Oh yeah. And of course, got to KFC. And it's it's pick it's delivery only. It's delivery right? only, so, yeah. So we sat in the car park and got onto the delivery app and ordered like the family bucket and the Zynga Tower right. meals and all this business. And it said, "Where are you?" And I just put in, "Sitting in your car park." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Great Tesla, sitting in your car park." And then about twenty minutes later, this. Uh, fella from Eastern Europe comes over, big burly guy, and just drops two bags on our bonnet and walks away. Brilliant. So, and, and he brought wait- those. So he brought them from outside, from from inside yeah. the restaurant, or did he come? Was he sitting well, outside? The dropped them out of the front door, and then the delivery, the Uber driver is meant to pick him yes. up and drive him to wherever they are. But this guy just looked up and thought, "All right, there they are." Yeah, and just that's great. Just him on the bonnet. Yeah, that's got paid. very and, funny. Um, I had to pay Uber five quid, I think, for the delivery privilege. That's brilliant. And give the guy a three quid tip for walking 20 yards. Because I notice, I mean, there's one I drive past and have been driving past for the best part of the last, you know, six or seven weeks down in Deptford. And that opened up last Thursday, I think, for the first time. And all you see is this one window and a load of guys on mopeds. And I mean, I was yeah. saying to somebody the other day, I don't know how they work that, but it must be a bit like the Wild West. Because presumably, yeah. like, if you're trying to book an Uber, they give it to the nearest guy. I mean, these guys are it's sort of like um, they're, not, they're, they're like old-fashioned knights on on you know yeah. char- on on steeds, but they're all on it's, mopeds going as quick as you like through the town. It's like the wacky races, yeah. You know, I mean, the careering round, yeah. sort of crisscrossing each other. It's mad. Because the funny thing about London that, that you've probably forgotten since you haven't been here for a while is that most of the fast, a lot of the like kebab shops and stuff, never shut. They've always right. been open anyway, you know. Right. And it's only really, it's only the, it's only the chains that decided to close down. And I, you wonder yeah. whether they, you know, it's easy to say now, but you wonder whether they should have just stayed open and, and kept it as a as a as a drive through service or something, or or just a delivery delivery service. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it, it, I think for people who don't live in big cities, the idea that everybody's getting their hot food delivered to them by a scooter yeah. drive sounds a bit mad, but that is what. That is the reality now, isn't it? It's it like... is in London, yeah. I mean, certainly down in Sussex where the kids are, there's only one pizza place that's open that you can order right. a pizza from. But that's it. You can't... I mean, there's no there's no Indian restaurants, there's no Chinese restaurants, there's no... You know, there's no... Um, certainly no kebab shops or anything like that that are open. You know um, what these uh, dark kitchens are? Have you heard of these? No. Sounds intriguing, so, though. So dark kitchens are like one big warehouse that... Oh, yeah. uh, that Amazon or Uber or whoever, Deliveroo, have set up, and it's full of different cuisines being cooked by different teams. Okay. And and they've all got their own branding as though they are, like, independent Indians or pizza places or okay. Chinese or whatever. But they're all being cooked in the same place. Right. And, and so you go on your menu and... It'll be like if you've ordered an Indian, they'll they'll go to the Indian station and cook that up for you, or yeah. the Chinese. But it's all coming from the same place, but it's all marketed as though it was like a yeah. different. Interesting. Restaurant. Well, I think yeah. the future is going to be a lot more like that. I mean, again, talking about actual restaurants, if restaurants say decide that they're going to do more takeaway type food, even if it's high end, sort of, you know, we'll cater your party or we'll cater a, uh, you know, a night in for four people or something like that. 
you know, they yeah. could have turned around and said, well, why do we need the restaurant? We don't need it. We yeah. need a kitchen, but we don't need an actual restaurant with tables and chairs and waiters and waitresses yeah. and, and, and rent, you know? And the other thing like that is is uh, cinemas getting cut out of the loop on showing yeah. films. Yeah. And, you know, the more, uh, the longer this goes on and cinemas have to stay shut, the, the studios are going to have no choice but to say exactly as the restaurants are suffering, well, we'll have to skip the cinema and just go straight to the punters, you yeah. know, and, and stream everything. I think it's Trolls 2 or something like that. It's not obviously not my my level. It's too, in, too yes. intellectual for me. <laughs> but Trolls, Trolls 2, I think, has just gone straight to straight, live streaming. Straight, straight you know? to live streaming, yeah. Well, do you know what I found interesting? There was an advert running the other day for Disney+, Plus, um, and it was, of course, very yeah. cleverly done. It was on May the 4th. Uh, which become has become that Star Wars day now, you know, and it was like yeah. sign up for uh, Disney Plus and every single Star Wars movie is live streaming today, you know, wow. and that's kind of the uh, that's really innovative to me as as a marketing yeah. tool, you know, and and again, I presume there's money involved in in having to do you know the promotions of films and all of that, yeah. and you can now forget about you know taking people on junkets to LA, just you know do it yeah. all on Zoom, stick it straight out on Disney Plus. And away you go. What's the, you know, why, yeah. why bother paying for anything? I mean, for example, we're looking at now um, uh, the sporting scenario. There was meetings in the House of Commons today with the Football League and all of that, and people saying, you know, we've got to get it back on, and horse racing is going to start soon. I think there's a there's a meeting in France next week. America's going to be playing golf. There's a Rory McIlroy is going to play in a golf tournament. You know, um, yeah. you know, it might be that you get your uh, you get your league trophy after all. I hope so, mate. I, I, the weird thing for me is, is that everybody seems quite positive about it, mm. and and except for the bloody players, yeah, who, you who you would think they'd be the ones chomping at the bit to get back out there. They're too except, well off, aren't they? I mean, Aguero sitting in Argentina with his uh, with his millions, saying, "Oh, yeah, but we've all got young kids." Well, what do you think yeah. the rest of us have got? Yeah, well, you've been in isolation for seven weeks. Sergio yeah. Bloody Aguero can do it too. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you know, what's the problem? Although, I mean, I do struggle slightly with the concept of people playing sport, a contact sport, and somehow safe distancing. I'm not quite sure how yeah. that happens. How well, that works. I think the idea is, is that they're going to test everybody before and after and all of this, and, and they'll have to stay in isolation, which is yes. what they're all moaning about, is that they are... They're going to be away from their families for six weeks. But frankly, they don't worry about that when they go off to play the World Cup, do they? You know? Yeah, and all when they're organising lap dancing parties around their, their gaff either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the, in, the, in the flat in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but listen, I'm, expect, I'm fully expecting by the time you and I speak next week that there'll have, something will have shifted quite substantially, aren't you? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I think the nation is ready for a bit of light relief of some sort yeah definitely well luckily uh, there's plenty of podcasts to go around we'll do another one next week uh, and uh, meantime Matt let us know when you're back in town okay see you soon I used to have to get in a car and tr- drive to the nearest Tesco's and sit in the Tesco cafe um, to, yeah. to, to send emails and to talk to people um, yeah. and then go back at some point in the afternoon to do the sort of second shift, you know, because <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to contact me during the day. It was a horrendous situation. You know what the weird thing in the world is for me is trying to reimagine, we all lived through it, but trying to remember what it was like before the internet and before email yeah. and mobile phones. It, it seems almost impossible that we, we got through de- the day yeah. we did. Well, I tell stories to my kids, particularly to, to Emma, my oldest, about how I used to do my journalism uh, uh, job, you know, when I lived in America. 
and I think I've talked to you about this before, where, you know, I'd get called in New York and I'd be told, you know, go to, uh, you've got to go and find so-and-so. Well, where is he? I, well, we don't know. We think he might be somewhere in Texas, you know. And you'd go, <laughs> all right, okay. And then you'd somehow find the guy at, uh, in a phone book in some way, find an address, get on a plane to Dallas, drive, you know, drive sort of 20 miles outside of Dallas, find the street somehow, uh, knock on the door and ask him the question and then be yeah. told to piss off. sooner kids can go back to school and start their educations again that'll give parents a little bit more of a breathing space and i think things will then uh equalize quite nicely but it's not um it's just not i can't see the point where anyone says right that's over now you know yeah. so we've got to we've got to prepare to live with it rather than live after it Sam, stiffs don't sell 